0: See you all. (laughs) You know, when I walked in here, Cameron said, Best thing you do when you're public speaking is imagine everybody nude. I just looked at Cameron. (laughs) Oh, it's the little things that amuse you the most. sorry mate, you walked into that one. (laughs) A few weeks ago Neil asked me if I'd be able to stand up here and take the service and uh, he told me that the theme was my story. I thought oh well I've got one of those and uh, so I agreed and uh, I would encourage every one of you even if you're not willing to come up and share your story from the front, go through the process of recounting it. There's a blessing in it. So here's my story. As you can tell from my very broad English accent, I was born in the UK. And uh, our family immigrated when I was three. So there's the first miracle. And blessing in my life that i can recall i got to grow up in australia uh, best decision my parents ever made i believe and uh and they they would hold to that as well um i was christened a uh, church of england i uh, don't know what that means still to this day don't really know what that means but i've got a certificate I'm the eldest of three children got a younger brother and a sister and we're uh, we're all spread all over well the east coast of new south wales at least uh, as far as a childhood was concerned i um i had a pretty good one uh, there was no violence in our family there was uh, there was no drunkenness there was no gambling there was no hideous stories that i can share it was a pretty normal sort of childhood Grew up in Western Sydney, um, reasonably tough area. Uh, Kids don't believe me, I'm sure, but, you know, North Pines a real blessing, a real good school to go to. I don't believe you've had any shootings here. We had one. It was a bit scary, but it was a pretty tough neighbourhood. Um, Certainly didn't have any real uh, church experience as a child. Uh, My mum and dad... I reckon they, they thought they were doing the best thing they could. They, they uh, attended church as children, but, uh, but we, ne- we never did. The occasional wedding, christening. Um, but church was, was kind of foreign to us. I didn't really know what it meant, didn't understand it, and didn't care, quite frankly, had no real desire. Um, as I said, went to state schools, and uh, scripture was part of going to school back then, um, and I attended because we had to. But I didn't really give it much um, credence. Didn't, didn't really put any importance on it at the time. I wasn't offended by it or anything like that, but didn't really get it. Um, I got the I got the cane. The first time I got the cane came from a scripture class. It's not funny. Because I was innocent. See, somebody was giving the scripture teacher a hard time, and it wasn't me. It wasn't the blokes I was with, because we were up the back playing poker for footy cards. (laughs) And anyway, long story, cut short, I got the cane for it. Got the cane a few more times as well, but I'm not going to tell you about those stories. I guess in high school, I think it's about year eight, correct me if I'm wrong guys, year eight uh, science is when you deal with evolution. And uh, like I said, had no Christian background, nothing to base it on, but I didn't buy it. Couldn't accept it. And uh, I suppose there's a few teachers in the room and I was one of those kids that uh, if it didn't make sense, I would argue the point. And I asked them to prove it. I wanted proof. I wanted proof from the math teachers. I wanted proof from the history teachers. I wanted proof from everything. Otherwise I wouldn't buy it. Well, that science teacher couldn't prove it. So I didn't accept it. I didn't have an answer. I didn't have a solution. But I knew that that didn't hold water, that, that, that particular uh, aspect of year eight science. But it was probably when I was about 10, that I had my first real encounter with church folks. Um, I went to visit my mate, a bloke by the name of Wayne Hutchinson, I'm sure you don't know him, I haven't seen him for probably 35 years now I reckon, but he was a friend of mine when we were kids. And I just went to his place one Sunday morning to say good day and see if he wanted to Go out riding bikes and throwing rocks at things and do stuff that 10-year-old kids do. And I knocked on his door and uh, he was pleased to see me but he said, I can't, I've got to go to Sunday school. And I had no idea what Sunday school was really, back at 10-year-old. And uh, he said, do you want to come? And I had nothing better to do. So I said, yeah, I'll come. And I remember this... Sunday school, it was a Presbyterian bus, and it used to park just up the road from hutcho 's place, and every Sunday, it'd drive around the neighbourhood and pick up the local kids. And I'm assuming it was driven by the minister, I didn't really know, but driven by the minister, pick up the local kids, park it back up in the driveway, and then he would conduct the Sunday school, and then he'd drop them all home again. So we boarded this bus and picked up the rest of the kids and then he parked it up and he turned his seat around and faced, I don't know, there was probably about 15 kids in the bus and he said, right, you've all got your Bibles this week, I trust. Who hasn't got a Bible? Well, I didn't have a Bible. and So I put my hand up and so did some other kid up the back and this bloke ripped it into us, big time. Now I was 10, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I'm making out now, but you know you have monumental days in your life that stick with you, birth of your kids, your marriage, and getting told off by a preacher who I didn't know, made a big impact on me at the time, and uh, I remember thinking, even as a kid, if that's religion, you can have it do want it. That was my first encounter. When I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had no direction. I wasn't a bad kid. I was a good kid. I was mischievous and uh, popular. Had, good, had friends, you know, plenty of friends. Um, tend to wing it a bit in life, but had no real direction. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd worked at Woolies, uh, year 11, 12, I guess, maybe a bit of year 10. Uh, part-time job, Thursday night, Saturday mornings, back in the day. And uh, the manager had said to me, what are you doing when you leave school? I said, I don't know. And he said, you should apply for a trainee manager's role with Woolies, good career, you know, good company. I'll give you a reference, because I liked him. And so that's what I did, got my first job. And uh, lasted about 18 months, drove me nuts, couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand going to the same place every day, doing the same thing every day. That's what it seemed like. And uh, I was dealing with reps all the time. They were coming in, in their flash cars, you know, having a bit of a chat, saying g'day, quick cup of coffee, then they were off. And I thought, that's good life, I'll have that. So I applied for a job with Cadbury's and got it. Man, that was a good job. <laughs> I was 19 years old, had a brand new company car, had more money than I'd ever seen in my life. They paid me well. And I had a boot full of dairy milk chocolate, mate. And I had chocolates everywhere. It was a good job. I was very popular when I had that job. <laughs> and I did that for a while. And uh, I moved then into the music industry. Um, I don't really know what lured me there, but but it was I was lured there definitely. It was an exciting time. We're talking the mid '80s. Um, pub rock was alive and well. Um, live bands every night. Uh, my job was to sell music, so I used to call on record shops and. Uh, radio stations, things like that, promote bands. I uh, worked for festival records and we were the distributors of most of the Australian music. Um, wild times. They, they were pretty wild. There was a lot of, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. Uh, I was away a lot. I used to travel a lot. And, uh, you know, it, well, you can imagine. we had uh jimmy barnes was one of our artists we ice house hunters and collectors um, amy grant didn't know who she was (laughs) i had to go to her concert now anyone been to an amy grant concert yeah you have i know you have That was something else. That was, I think, my third encounter with Christians. It was at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. And I thought, I said, I remember saying to my manager, I really don't want to go. And he said, no, no, you've got to go. We need a presence. We're going to be catching up later and stuff like that. Okay, Linda came with me. We were were going out then. And uh, were we in the front row or the second row? It was pretty close yeah we were very close and we saw the whole show but i reckon there were i don't know how many people the entertainment center holds but thousands and half of them never saw the show they spent the whole night with their eyes shut doing this weird honestly thought it was weird really weird but I didn't have to dodge one bottle didn't have to step over any sputum or people passed out on the ground that was the usual interesting times Um, it was I suppose a couple of years prior to the music 12 months prior to the music industry I met Linda and uh, you know we were, we were getting on pretty good. Um, we'd moved in together. We were decided to build a house, we bought a block of land. We were planning a bit of a future, first time in history that Keith had decided that he had a future. And uh, we had to go through a bit of a process Any newlyweds? Maybe you can tell me if this still happens, I don't know. But we had to go to counselling. You still do that? Yeah? What's the point of that? Sorry, dry throat. I've been coughing all week, so forgive me, please. I had no idea what that was all about. This bloke, who we were going to pay to marry us, by the way, was going to interview us to decide whether he thought we were suitable. That's what I thought it was about. There was probably more to it than that, but I didn't know, didn't care. So we paid him a visit. And today, I, I couldn't tell you what we talked about, what he talked about. But Linda thought it was a good idea if we do this, this counselling thing. And she also thought that since we were going to get this fellow to marry us, and he was the minister of a church that we were going to uh, be married in, that we probably should go and visit the church. That was my third contact with Christians. Now, we, we went to this church... And I don't know whether they'd had a sermon the week before about being friendly to people who come in that they don't know, but man, I've never been so overwhelmed in my life. We snuck into a pew where there was nobody sitting, and within, I don't know, five seconds, there was a bloke sitting next to me chatting, hey, mate, good to see you, yeah, what do you do, what are you here for, blah, 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 blah. And then someone was on the other side in Linda's ear like this. And I looked up and there were four people in the pew behind us leaning over. They wanted to get to know us too. The people in the row in front of us had turned around. Now, I didn't want to be there. (laughs) I was hoping to sort of sneak in and not one person notice. And we had a dozen people crowding us. I was... Couldn't even get a breath. I never went back to that church. The minister put the cement, put the icing on the cake though, because I told Linda, I'm not going back. I'm not going to counselling. I'm not, you know, he'll marry us. If he doesn't, we'll find somebody else. But Linda went back, and then he told her that maybe she should reconsider the bloke she's planning to marry. (laughs) I had a good introduction to religion. And it left a mark. Kind of jades you a bit when things like that happen. Well, we did get married and he did marry us. And we didn't go back. So that was good i was off the hook for about 18 months i reckon and then tragically my father got very very ill and uh, within six month period he he passed away and uh, linda was being very very much um, i guess touched i now know by a holy spirit i didn't know that existed back then but uh when we were going through the grieving process, she, she felt very, very strongly that uh, we had no hope. My mother, my brother, my sister and myself had no hope. Uh, we had nothing to look forward to and there was a, a very real spiritual hole in our lives. Uh, which prompted her to start investigating a little. Now, her mum and dad had uh, become Christians about two years, I reckon, before we were married. So things were sort of happening in our family a bit. Linda started reading books, um, started uh, reading the Bible, looking at videos. Things were happening, things were changing. Didn't affect me a huge amount at that point, but was it was there Um, she even started going to church and I remember going to the Seventh-day Adventist church in Campbelltown she she'd sneak in because she didn't want to be noticed she didn't want to fuss she'd sneak in at the back after the process had already started and she got to know the routine pretty quick so during the last hymn out the back door gone and uh, one day the minister cottoned onto her, and ambushed her before she could get out, introduced himself, told her that uh, he was willing to listen, to talk. Uh, If she was ever interested in Bible studies or anything like that, he was uh, more than happy to accommodate. Well, Linda was very much seeking at the time. And so she decided this uh, one particular day to invite him home. And it was a Friday night, not just a Friday night, it was all of the Friday nights. She'd booked up for a regular visit of Bible study, so it's starting to affect me now. Um, I didn't want to be there, I had no desire, no interest, Um, and I made myself scarce for the first couple of times, I, I can't remember where I went, might have gone to the pub, might have to a mate's place, something like that. But I wasn't there. Came home, she said, yeah, it was good. He was good, interesting, all that stuff. Um, He was a a wily old pastor, this bloke. Because not only did he manage to latch on to Linda and and get her before she snuck out the door this one week, but I reckon he figured that I probably left ten minutes before he got there. So, this next week he's fifteen minutes early, <laughs> and I had to answer the door, so he had the opportunity to eyeball me, and I, I was going out I didn't know where I didn't I didn't really want to go, I just didn't want to be there. so uh, so once I'd met him and his wife, um, I stayed. I thought, all right I'll I might as well hang around and just see what this is all about. Now, I'd, I had no real understanding of what was going on, but my life never was the same ever again after that night. Um, there wasn't a bolt of lightning or anything like that, but the guard was down a bit. And this bloke was all right. He was, he was friendly. He, was, he had a sense of humour. We got on Okay. And uh, so I decided then I'd hang around. I'd listen to what he was saying. And I mentioned before, when I was a kid, I needed evidence, right? I needed, you've got to show me some proof. If you tell me something, back it up. And that's exactly what he did. I asked him a million questions. And he could back every bit of it up with biblical truth. And I reckon probably a month or two in, he thought, I got this bloke. Because he's asking all the questions and I got all the answers and he did and he must have I reckon sometimes he must have laughed himself silly on the drive home because you know I was my, my ignorance must have astounded him I was, I was I don't know 25 26 years old by this stage I knew there was an Old Testament and a New Testament didn't know what they were I'd heard of Moses I'd heard of Adam and Eve and I'd heard of Jesus that's it 25 26 years old that's the limit of my uh, scriptural wisdom pretty basic I'd gone from I guess in 12 months uh, a beer drinking dope smoking mischief-making nut into a teetotaling, baptised Seventh-day Adventist. Pretty big change for me. Um, My mum thought we'd joined a cult. She disowned me, took me out of the will, told me that. Uh, We pretty much alienated ourselves from just about all our friends. They thought we were crazy. Um, The pastor warned us that this sort of stuff was probably going to happen. And we took it with a grain of salt, but the world started to really unfold. Within a week of being baptised, I lost my job. The company that I was working for, the times were pretty tough back then too in the 80s. So it's, you know, interest rates were high and people were going bust all over the joint and early 90s now and you know the company that I was working for pretty big firm went went uh, into liquidation put us all off and I thought no worries because every job I'd applied for in the past I'd gotten no problem so I thought I'll just apply for another job and so I did sent my resume in got an interview went and sat before them told them what I could do for them they said pretty much beautiful when can you start i said well hang on just before we go i've got one other thing i've got to tell you i'm 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 a christian and my day of worship's saturday and so from friday evening till saturday evening I, i can't do any work but monday to friday you got me and sunday if you need me oh hang on a minute we've got a few other people to talk to don't call us we'll call you and that happened half a dozen times, I reckon, in the next few weeks. Pretty demoralising. Pretty hard to deal with. Um, I had a, one interview in particular that stands out with a company. And I'll mention them. Macquarie, Macquarie Stationery, they were called. They no longer exist. But they were uh, a pretty big company, office supply company. And uh, I applied for a job with them. And the manager at the Smithfield office, I was living in Sydney, the manager of the Smithfield office said to me, you're exactly what we're looking for. I said, well, hang on a minute, i just got to tell you one thing, I told him. And the mood just changed. And he said to me, look, mate, I've got a good team of people here. We have a bit of fun. I don't want to have to ask them to mind their P's and Q's around you Christians. So thanks, but no thanks. So I left there, and uh, the church, Campbelltown Church, where we were attending, the the, the minister, the minister who baptised us, he says, mate, I can't understand it. We're praying for you. I can't understand why you're having so much trouble. He said, do you mind if we pray for you as a church? Called us all together the end he said anyone who would like to stay after the service we're just going to have a special moment of prayer for keith struggling a bit and i was i was completely overwhelmed the entire church stayed back and spent the next 15 20 minutes praying for me everyone was late for lunch saturday afternoon it's a big thing (laughs) appreciate the effort big time i was i was very humbled well the next day sunday The pastor rings up, says, Keith, you're not going to believe this, I just had a bloke on the phone looking for someone to do a bit of work for him, wondering if he's got anybody in the area. Now, it was a simple job, it was letterboxing. You know, a few months, well, a few years earlier, a couple of years earlier, I was backstage with Jimmy Barnes, now I'm going out letterboxing for a blind company. Maybe I needed a bit of humbling. God knows. Anyway, took the job. I let a box for two days and the boss said to me, can you come in and do a bit of internal sales stuff while while you're there? And I said, yeah, happy to do that. So I turned up on the Monday morning, only to find tragically that this man who had broken my drought and was a complete answer to God, answer from God, had been killed in a car crash that afternoon and uh, everything turned upside down in that company but they kept me on and within a couple of weeks they had me managing their warehouse and doing a bit of stuff internally i hadn't didn't do much letterboxing at all answer to prayer absolutely don't ever underestimate the answer uh, the power of prayer i told them that i really wanted to get out on the road and I, i appreciated the fact that they'd given me an opportunity to keep keep the income coming in. We had a mortgage. And and they said, no worries. We'll have you as long as you want to stay, but you're welcome. We understand, you know. I saw an ad in the paper. Macquarie Stationery. Wanting somebody to work at that office. But they had a different contact this time. Now, I've got no idea why I should go there a second time. But the bloke who was doing the interview was a different fella, a fella I knew of. So I rang him and organised an interview, and I went in and sat in front of him and uh, and went through the interview process. I thought, this time I'm not going to say anything about Saturday work. I thought, I'll just deal with that if and when it ever comes up. Well, he gave me the job on the spot, and I found out, I said, I said to him, look, I've got to be honest with you, I applied for a job here about six months ago, and it was your predecessor and he laughed and he said that bloke and his assistant manager are now facing charges they were embezzling money out of the firm they were robbing customers they were were up to all sorts so these were the people that i'd applied for a job with prior and this is how i know god has a sense of justice and a real comedic edge about him as well because within nine months I had the job of that bloke who told me that i'd have to watch my p's and q's and so it was a very interesting time interesting time coming through that process um, as i said we had a lot of trials at that time but we we had unbelievable blessings as well um, two beautiful girls they told us we would never have children no, we were we were uh, effectively an infertile couple my problem not Linda's just in case you're wondering never let it be said I won't take the blame but praise God and medical science that we were blessed with two beautiful girls um, through the IVF process it was a long hard slog we had about how we goes? Six goes? Five goes? Cost us a fortune, you two. <laughs> never going to let you forget it. But a lot of prayer went into our girls. They'll never, ever, ever be taken for granted. The effort that went in and uh, the blessing that they are to us. Incidentally, just in case you don't know, they're twins, even though they're born three years apart, which is a bit unique from the same batch of eggs, batch of embryos but Lozzie was in a freezer for (laughs) a bit over two years which explains a lot. (laughs) Miracle of life. Now the reason I guess I'm telling you what happened prior to my conversion more so than after is, I, I think it gives me a bit of a different perspective on what it, what it means to be part of the church. If you've, and I'm not, please don't think I'm being critical in any way, I'm not. If you are fortunate enough, blessed enough to be born into this church, into this organisation with a knowledge of God, that is amazing, wonderful, Fantastic. But it's quite different coming in from the outside. Things look a lot different to people who are coming in than those who've been in here their whole life. And I think as uh, our mission here at Refresh, which is, is... that me? don't know. Our mission here is to reach the unreached, you know, within our own community. That's where we start anyway. You know, And there are certain things that are a bit odd to somebody who has not experienced that before. And I think that's really where we need to uh, be aware of who we're inviting this church. We could have, you know, half a dozen people in this room now who are like me, here, like me when I was a few years ago really don't want to be here Here under sufferance, here because they made a promise to their wife or their girlfriend, yeah, I'll come. I'll come because I want to be with you, not because I want to go to church. And the influence we have on them could be life-changing. I could have shortcutted things a lot if at 10 years old, that uh, minister, had have treated me differently than the way he did. And don't get me wrong, I don't think he was a bully. I think he was just having a bad day or whatever. But, And and I'm sure he'd be absolutely horrified at the thought of him turning away a 10-year-old boy who turned up completely coincidentally. I'm sure he'd be horrified if that was the thing. But it's it's the truth. It's what happened. Uh, In fact, same with the guy who married us. I'm sure he'd feel exactly the same way. The biblical truth has eternally linked me to God. But the reason I'm here in church is because of the friends that I made. They're the things that made all the difference. The truth clarified everything for me. But the friends are the reason I stayed. Excuse me, just have a drink of water. Have you ever really considered the lengths that Jesus would go to to save an individual? Think about it. In his final hours, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The weight of the world was on his shoulders, even to the point of him asking God, his Father, to take the responsibility away from him. An angel was sent to strengthen him, and being full of pain, Jesus prayed even harder. His sweat was as drops of blood. Think about that. The requirement for the forgiveness of sin was the shedding of innocent blood price was paid Jesus could have died there and then the sacrifice would have been complete mankind's eternal future was secure but there was one more soul to be saved Jesus was then arrested and the high priest questioned him and didn't like the answers that he was given they tore his clothes and accused Jesus of blasphemy Then the people spat at Jesus, and they punched him in the face. And as the blood sprayed from his nose, he could have died then. The price had been paid, but he knew there was one more soul to be saved. They took him to Pilate, but Pilate tried to get the leaders to release him. People wouldn't have it. They demanded that he be crucified. Pilate handed Jesus over to the soldiers and they beat him with whips. As the flesh opened up on his back and the blood streamed out of his wounds, he could have died then. The blood of the sacrificial lamb had been spilt. The price had been paid. But there was one more soul to be saved. Then the soldiers began to mock him. They took off his clothes and placed a red robe on him. They wove a vine of thorns into a mock crown. And when they forced that barbed wreath onto his head, the thorns pierced the delicate skin around his temples, the blood running down his face, stinging his eyes. He could have died then. His blood was spilt. The price had been paid. But he held on there was one more soul to be saved jesus was beaten humiliated drained of all physical strength and he was dragged away for for crucifixion they lay the cross on the ground and the Savior's bruised and beaten body was cast down his arms and legs wrenched into position his wrists were secured as the executioner drives the barbaric nail through the tender flesh of his hands. As he screams in agony, the nail is punched into his feet and the blood drains from his newest wounds. He could have died then. The price had been paid. The promise was fulfilled. But there was one more soul to be saved. Soldiers stood the cross up and the cruel torturous device with the son of god pinned to it is dropped into a hole and stood upright Jesus is consumed in agony his flesh tearing his body draining and still he hangs on he could have died price would have been paid mankind's eternal fate was secure there was still one more precious soul to be saved. As one of the two criminals being put to death at the same time as Jesus began hurling insults at him, the other intervened and said, you should fear God. We're being punished because we deserve it. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered the criminal and assured him that there is a place in paradise for you. Had Jesus died earlier, that precious soul may have been lost. And I don't think Jesus could bear that possibility. At noon, the whole land became dark, and for three hours, the sun didn't shine. Then in a loud voice, Jesus cried out, it's finished, and he died. He died for you, he died for me, and he died for a thief hanging on a cross. In the words of Casting Crowns, Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. We need to be careful with the precious souls that God has put us in charge of influencing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for every person who's here. I want to thank you for the influence that you've had on every single one of our lives. And I want to thank you in advance for the influence you're going to have. I just pray that in this, this coming week, this coming month, we can have a massive influence on those around us. Help them to see you in us. We want to pray for our, our Storm Stormco volunteers as they go out and do exactly as you've asked them to do. Go out and serve others. And I just pray that they can be the the shining light in the communities that they're visiting and that people may have a wonderful experience of you through them. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name.